the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. <laughs> Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Oh 
Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is uh, a professor and the founder of the Oxford Method, a community that offers tutoring services around the country. We're going to talk about seven ways to ensure your child gets a good education with uh, Professor David Florence, who joins me by phone. David, welcome to the show. Good morning to you. Happy holiday. Is this... um, these different ways are are they are they universal do they work with parents who find themselves teaching their kids from home because of the pandemic or um or in in person settings um what are some of these ways and how do they fit in sure Sure. Well, generally, either in person, in in classroom, or online, or in home, basically there are basically seven types of ways to get uh, children to focus. Uh, They include sleep, uh, teaching values, helping them get uh, help, for example, working with us, uh, showing them how to do things, are some of our first four. And we can get into some others in a moment. Yeah, when you say, David, when you say sleep, you don't mean sleep during class. <laughs> no, we don't <laughs> recommend that as instructors. So it, it tends, we tend to frown on that. But uh, usually getting a good night's sleep before class or after class is a good idea. Well, and, and maybe that will prevent people from dozing off. Exactly. But it is crucial. The way the mind works is sleep does help uh, the brain bring connections so that you can learn better. So we always advise before a test to make sure to get good sleep. And when you're studying, you can even take a nap, and that will help you uh, uh, integrate the information into your mind. So Now, the, I, was, I was reading something that was released from, from your organization about these uh, seven uh, different ways to ensure your child gets a good education. And under the subject of sleep, I, I was surprised to read some of these numbers that um, kids 6 through 12 should get 9 to 12 hours of sleep 
and 13 yeah. to 18, 8 to 10 hours of sleep. Are kids getting that? Typically not. I mean, in today's rapid-paced world, we don't see that uh, everyone gets this amount of sleep. And it does vary. Not every person needs 8 to 10, or not every teen needs 8 to 10, but on average, it's not a bad idea to get more sleep. And having had my daughter become uh, just leave the teens, sometimes more than 10 hours, <laughs> sometimes 12. <laughs> sometimes they sleep till 1 in the afternoon. So uh, it depends. Yeah, I used to, I used to joke when I would sleep the day away that that I would uh, get up and my my first big decision of the day was whether to watch Gilligan's Island reruns before or after I had dinner. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I was just talking with a good friend of mine about Gilligan's Island yesterday. Small world, yes. <laughs> it is a small world. Um, you talk about teach value and and. It's starting at home. Uh, yes. How important is the way parents address education with their children? It's essential. Uh, research shows that an integrated home that uh, provides uh, insight, shows kids how to work, uh, work with them, ask questions, is a home that's going to have a better uh, quality of education. School can only do so much. And our the Oxford method we look to uh, augment school by providing you know enhanced knowledge for our students. And by repetition, working with them, uh, creating a community, uh, that's how you uh, instill values and knowledge and wisdom upon students. You know, it's it's funny when I was uh, when I was a kid, David. My whenever I was reading something and I stumbled on a word, I would turn to my dad and he'd say, "Look it up." And, <laughs> and, and it used to annoy me so much, but as I look back on it, it was really kind of brilliant because it it taught me how to look for and find answers. It it, it is uh, knowledge is something that you can gain by many ways and. Uh, by doing is an ex excellent way of uh, learning how to solve a problem. So it's a great, your dad did you service. Now, the challenge is if you can't spell the word, looking it up is a problem. But if you do know the spelling, it's a great way to learn. And you know what the answer was for that from both of my parents, <laughs> who were excellent communicators, was sound it out. There you go. Good advice. <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like you had a household that was really uh, helped you achieve what you've achieved. So wonderful. Well, like you great parents. They, they really were wonderful in that regard uh, for a couple or three different reasons. They, um, one is they were always willing to help with education. They were both tremendous uh, communicators, and they were, they were both great storytellers. Well, that's wonderful. That, to me, as an educator, storytelling, engaging the students, having them be uh, innovative in a classroom or online setting, is really the key. Uh, we like to, our our tagline is we take education seriously, but have fun doing it. Yeah, we really believe that that joy is part of learning, and uh, we want to give them it. We want to make it like they're having cod liver oil, but make it taste like cotton candy. Is one of the things <laughs> I like to say. Yeah, my mother tried that with liver and never really pulled it off. <laughs> um, yeah, well, there's joy in teaching, so it is important to uh, to engage. And, you know, every subject can be fun if, if, if uh, a parent or an instructor makes it so. What, um, 
what can we do um, a- as a society to address issues? I know um, I live uh, in an area that's been hard hit by infrastructure problems, and mm-hmm. the schools are having a, 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 a tough time. What can we do to encourage young people to want to learn in those in those houses where they come from second and sometimes third generations of uh, people who really don't value education uh, that's very challenging it uh, you know it really needs to come from the family and the school individually it's hard to have uh, engagement we we offer uh, we have our nonprofit arm and we provide free computers, free high-speed Internet, and free instruction to underprivileged kids. And that's part of the way we look to give back to society is trying to engage families and help them to help their, their children grow and give them opportunities that they didn't have. But you're asking a very good question. It's, um, it's a society needs to put value on education. Unfortunately, the United States, we really tend not to value teachers. Uh, in other societies, teachers are revered like doctors, lawyers, and accountants in the United States. For some reason, we've really mitigated the value of instruction and teachers, and they're an essential part of our society and demand respect and, and demand to be paid a, a reasonable wage. And so that's something we take very seriously. We pay the highest rate in the industry to our instructors, and we feel it's important to provide value. You, get, uh, you reap what you sow, and if you provide value to instructors, you incent students to go to class and to learn. You show the value. You'll have a great society. Has technology had a positive or negative influence on education? Another great question. It's both. The aspect of getting information from everything from Google to having uh, computers in the home has really helped the those who have the technology. So those who have gain more insight. But those who don't, as we've seen through COVID, if you don't have a computer to do online classes or high-speed internet, you're not going to get access to knowledge and information. And so, therefore, it's bifurcated the, the society to some degree. And uh, in addition, online is a great way relative to having no learning, but we're, we're really social creatures, so the classroom is the best way to learn, ideally. But if you can't do a classroom, then online is, is the next best. Uh, although clearly, if there's a choice between the two, being in person and in-person learning is much much more advantage has much more advantages than online. Is the Socratic method a, a good way, and and is that sort of mimicked in public education? Uh, it is a great way. Funny enough, our, our our backup name for the company instead of the Oxford Method was the Socratic Method, so I, I own that URL as well. Uh, it is a great method, depending on the types of students and the type of knowledge to be disseminated. Uh, there are many ways to teach and many ways to learn, and so it's it's important for instructors to understand their students and for students to, uh, to listen and respect their and instructors. It's a two-way street. But there are several ways to learn, and uh, some are better than others, but it depends on the audience and depends on the teacher's skill set as well. More with Professor David Florence, the founder of the Oxford Method, straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with Professor David Florence, the founder of the Oxford Method, straight ahead. What exactly is the Oxford Method, David? Uh, our method is that we, uh, we bring in world-class instructors. 40% of our instructors have PhDs. 40% have master's degrees, and 20% have just bachelor's. And we focus on providing true value to our students, meaning that we, we listen to them, we understand their needs and wants. In addition, we've created what we call a global village, connecting our students to our families and other students around the world so they can share ideas and access. For example, we work with special needs students, both physically and emotionally challenged as well as gifted students, and we allow them to connect with other students and share ideas, as well as access to scholarships, special programs, and a life through a curated social media platform that we partnered with. And so our method is basically make it, as I said, to give them cod liver oil, make it taste like cotton candy, bring joy, and have fun with the students, engage, and, uh, and deliver. So that's really our method. It's pretty simple. You said there are uh, different kinds of teaching that, that can be successful depending on what the subjects are. Can you match a couple of those up for me? Sure. Well, in general, we don't feel that teaching information, teaching rote learning, and teaching to tests really works. We feel that transferring knowledge and wisdom is the key to teach students how to think how to understand problems. So in math, for example, teaching the history of math, teaching the reasons why things like the Pythagorean theorem work, why calculus is important, why algebra is important, as opposed to just the rote learning of it. If you understand the why and understand the value created and how you can apply the work, it gets more integrated into the mind. Same thing with history, make it fun. History is just a bunch of people doing things at different times. If you can make them relatable, you can make it more, uh, more approachable for students, and therefore they can understand it as opposed to a bunch of just dates and unimportant events. So personalizing it, engaging it, so in all subjects, whether it's philosophy, psychology, or physics, understanding the reasons why, making sure that students relate to the subject matter, and then be patient. Not every student learns at the same rate as every other student. And so some need additional knowledge, some need additional practice, and some need to, uh, to ask more questions. So it really depends. So teaching is an art form and one that's very valuable to society. And therefore, you have to modulate the speed, modulate the depth, and provide rewards. The praise is so important. We lose so sight of that in school. As well in the home, when a student does well, it should be uh, you know should be uh, recognized as in the classroom as well. You know, in recent years, we've heard an awful lot about STEM, uh, mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, and and math, and and in some more enlightened educational settings, we hear about STEAM, where they add arts yes. to the mix. Um, Humanities are so important. I, I, and I agree with that, David, and, and I'm, I'm kind of headed in that direction. But is is reading and writing still fundamental and critical 
to opening up the the world of education to people? Well, both reading, writing, and verbal communication. We live in a society yeah, where point. you can be their rights or have public speaking capabilities. It's my opinion that in order to succeed, one has to be able to communicate either in written or an oral form. And if you can't communicate effectively and influence others, it will be hard to be successful in academics or in the professional world. So it's essential. So we've created a set of courseware to improve listening skills, writing skills, preparation skills, as well as public speaking skills. So that's a linchpin, regardless of what subject matter you take. Unfortunately, most of us take one or two English classes in our adult life, and we're expected to be great writers. And if you're doing anything from, as I said, physics, psychology, poli-sci, you're required to communicate effectively. And so we feel that typical education is remiss in not providing enough skill transfer for writing and, and speaking skills. Do you think in some ways the, the interaction uh, that, that, well, let me put it this way, that one of the silver linings in the pandemic is that parents have been compelled to become more involved with their children's education um, in, in ways that maybe they should have always been but maybe weren't? That is a good that is a good thought. Yes, I think we see that they also understand the value of instruction and, and that teachers' jobs are very hard. So I think they now can understand the the stress if you have thirty kids in a classroom versus just one in a home. Uh, you know that then it's been it's been beneficial from the connection standpoint. So I think in a social family model, it's been helpful. But I do think it's going to be a long term challenge to get students up to speed. So we're creating, this summer we have our Brain Oiler series we've created to get students back to speed so when they enter the classroom they can deal with it from a psychological standpoint, a physical standpoint, an intellectual standpoint, and a sociological standpoint. Because it will be very stressful in, in fall for those who haven't been in classroom for a long time. And uh, regardless of how strong the family is, generally having professional instructors uh, provide the guidance is, is a key. So we are concerned about the effects long-term on having this period of time where many students were not in the classroom. So, What uh, people are calling COVID slide. Yes. I mean, there, I believe we'll see studies over the years to show that, the, at, especially K through 12, will be a great deal of effect long-term on their knowledge capabilities and wisdom. Uh, and so we study for years to come. We really want to make sure we nip it in the bud. For the tw fall 2021, is an essential time to integrate students back in the classroom to provide uh, enhanced knowledge through whether it's tutoring. We call it relationship-based learning. We don't use the term tutoring too often because our instructors, for example, are, are so strong that it's not like tutoring. We consider tutoring what a college kid does to a high school student or a high school student teaches an elementary school student. We call that tutoring. We call what we do relationship-based learning. What is, what do you think the new normal in education is going to be? There are a lot of young kids, we see news reports uh, where they interview kids and they can't wait to get back to school, which is not characteristic of what I, <laughs> what I remember when I was school age. But um, uh, 
<laughs> but but because they've been kept away from the the social interaction, there's there's a lot of anxiousness and enthusiasm for young people about going back to school. Is can that be um, uh, focused on a, a, a surge in learning in the new normal? Mm-hmm. That is an excellent question as well. Uh, We will see. There's going to be pent-up demand. There's going to be a desire for kids to connect and have sports, playground activities, and alike. Uh, There'll be some reticence to get back and study for hours at a time. And even sitting in a classroom from 8 o'clock in the morning until 2 to 3 may be stressful on children, having not had that kind of ability to to deal with that length of time sitting in in a seat. So there would be lots of effects that we're not going to really know about for a while. So it's going to be important for instructors to keep an eye on the classroom, to really work with the students, and then modulate their instruction based upon uh, many factors, including the speed the students learn, their ability to re-engage. So it's going to be challenging. Is is technology creating... um too many shortcuts, or are the are those things advantageous to free people up to learn even loftier things? Like, I, like I remember when I was going to school, you couldn't have a calculator. Yes, well, with the combination of Google and calculators and Excel and other tools, it's becoming less important to memorize abstract facts and more essential to integrate that into really learning. And so they're great tools to be able to help with the simple tasks, and that allows us to become more advanced. However, it's still beneficial to understand one's timetables and be able to be, you know, work with fastly with, uh, with anything before using technology as a complete crutch. In order to do calculus well, one really has to understand simple algebra and simple uh, arithmetic. And so uh, while the tools are spectacular to test and validate and look up information, it's essential to still be able to do it oneself. So the answer to the question is yes and no. Technology gives access to great deals of, of knowledge, and yet it's essential to be able to think properly and be able to solve problems creatively. Critical thinking. If that makes any sense. Critical thinking is an essential part of education. And an area that we really don't focus on extensively in K-12 through and even through tertiary or college-level work. Thinking, innovating, creating is an essential part of a professional's life. And if you're just simply regurgitating facts, data, and information, you're really not learning. And so many of the tests that we're using today, many of the ways that the administration and schools are teaching are really not effective to create great citizens. The, I, I'm really fascinated about this idea of, of critical thinking, and I'm curious about how it, well, and you mentioned something that, that raised another question for me. It had to do with creativity. Can creativity be taught, or is that something that's inspired or nurtured? Another fantastic question, Tom. Uh, It's a combination thereof, in my opinion. You can teach people to think creatively, to look outside of that proverbial box, to be innovative. 
to change their culture. But it really does take a substantial amount of thought behind keeping or helping those become creative. It takes the family, it takes the school, it takes the individual to push themselves and think, again, outside of that proverbial box. Uh, it's a combination of nature and nurture. It is, it's as if the, you know, the psychologists have shown us for years that it's not just behavioral and it's not just physiological, it's a combination thereof. And what can parents do to encourage critical thinking? I, I, I'm i uh, old enough to remember the, the very old saying, it was old when I was a kid, that uh, ch- children should be seen and not heard. <laughs> oh, yes, the, the good old movies. Um, well, children should be seen and heard. They're, it's important to give them their, their due, to get them involved in family work, to helping, you know, with chores, doing financial work, giving them, in my opinion, giving them a checking account, having them balance their checkbook, having them be involved with decisions in the household and talk about how you make a decision. These are all important things to be taught because if you are thrown out into the real world without being able to balance a checkbook, without being able to make a decision on how to buy a car or a refrigerator or a computer, you're lacking basic skills that are essential in uh, providing for oneself. So teaching by doing, you know, um, our inspiration at the Oxford Method is Richard, Dr. Richard Feynman, the physicist, and he felt that in order to really understand something, you could have to break it down so that you could teach it to anyone. And that's how you really determine if you understood something, is being able to explain it in terms that a, a sixth grader could understand. And and for the person that's that's learning the information to be able to then turn around, know it so well they could teach it to someone else. Exactly. If you, I I work with students and I say if you can explain this to your mom or grandma, you really understand it, and it's very true. Teaching helps one able to explain it to someone else. You really have to understand it to be able to transfer it. So it's always not always it's hyperbolic. It's it's important to be able to, uh, to teach skills to others and show them how to do it. That really reinforces the uh, understanding. Do parents that practice lifelong learning and, and embrace lifelong learning make better role models for their kids? No would think so. Uh, life is full of learning. If you stop learning, you really stop living. And so teachers, we love to learn most adults tend to like to learn things. That's why we watch media is to learn different perspectives, different points of view, and different uh, facts and alike. And so, unless I we watch the believe, same media all the time, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Well, you, then you learn. You know, then you learn the same thing over and over again, and you know what they say about that. Uh, but uh, no. But striving to learn, I think, is an essential part of human behavior. We want to understand. And, and, and really understand our environment. That's why, you know, religion was created. That's why science was recreated to, to explain our environment. And, uh, and therefore, it's, it's, it's just advantageous to constantly learn. And a family that's lurking to learn will give incentive to the children to learn. Whether you're rich or poor, or whether you're from the Northeast, West, or South, from U.S. or non-U.S., engaging, learning, thinking, creating, and engagement are all essential parts of being a great citizen, in my opinion. 
because of the, you know, I keep hearing the, the term, and I've been hearing it the last four or five years, the, the notion of fake news and science deniers uh. and, you know, lack of trust in, uh, um, in, in public officials and in science and so on. Is, is there a way or, or should we be encouraging um, all people, but, but young people in particular, to test the knowledge themselves? Yeah, as Rousseau said, question authority. Uh, to understand, to really, the philosopher Rousseau was very much into that, to question all authority. It is important to push back and look for facts and uh, information, knowledge, and wisdom. And, you know, there are only one set of facts. There are ways to interpret those facts, but there aren't alternative facts. And whether you're a liberal or conservative or Democrat or Republican, you can work together and have a, essentially agree on a set of facts and then debate the uh, policies that those facts can lead to. And that's creative. We love working with all fabrics. We work with urban students. We work with rural students. We work with uh, conservatives as well as liberals. We, we welcome that. To me, a great debate and building consensus is a key to a great society. And you can bring different perspectives and ideology. That's joyful in a classroom or in real-world settings. Uh, and also be joyful in that exchange. You know, Being respectful of someone who has a different opinion of you is, is really essential to learning and not be so tribal in your thinking. That's at least my perspective. So whether, you're, as I said, you're a conservative or a liberal, Republican or Democrat, there's value in listening to the other side and, and having respect and being open to their ideas. That's, you know, to me, essential in a, in a good community is to uh, be open to other people's points of view. Well, I've always said that um, if you don't listen to somebody else's point of view, how do you ever learn anything? I agree with you wholeheartedly, Tom. That's a really wise statement, very wise. You you mentioned... Um, uh, Educating kids from urban settings versus rural mm -hmm. settings. Um, mm -hmm. the, the phrase that popped right into my head, and I've heard kids say it, I've even heard my own kids say it on occasion, um, that they're street smart. <laughs> is, is there such a thing as street smart, and do urban kids have it more than rural kids? Well, I would, I would say that not necessarily more or less, it's just a different type of learning. Rural kids learn great deals about hunting and fishing and, and self-reliance in, in, in an environment that's not necessarily providing for them, whereas urban kids have to deal with the, you know, the grind of a, of a tight-knit society, and there's just differences. And to me, you want to build on those differences and leverage the skills that one learns in a street-smart versus book-smart world. And, and then again, respect both. Urban students are fantastic, as are rural students. They need different things. There are different ways, and that's why we have a United States of America, right? It's, we, each state has some control over its local uh, citizens as well as a federal component. And I think that's a beautiful thing. But there are differences specifically, and that's one of the things we enjoy working with both urban and rural students and helping them and modulating our instruction based upon socioeconomic, demographic, psychographic considerations. 
it's it's really essential to understand the student first before starting to teach. So we create best practices for our instructors so that they can best achieve and, and actualize our sister companies called social actualization. And the idea is we provide all those free things, computers, high-speed Internet, and instruction to underprivileged kids in urban and rural settings because we feel it's essential to provide knowledge and learnings to people who can't get access to it. The only one way, one way, only way one can lift themselves up by their bootstraps if they have bootstraps. And education, we like to say, is the great equalizer. It's the greatest gift one can give to the next generation. And so we walk that walk. We want to provide that to folks in any setting because everyone deserves a great education. Well, David, uh, I, I really appreciate you taking this time and, and having this very important conversation with me and, and for the listeners. Um, and, and we're out of time, unfortunately, because I'm really enjoying our conversation. But um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what sure. we've been talking about. Can you share some, some resources Sure. Well, of course, your library is an important place to go. It's a great place. You can go also to theoxfordmethod.com is our website, or our phone number is 833-3-OXFORD, and we can talk about the needs you have for your students. So 833-3-OXFORD is our phone number. And uh, recommend go to a library with your kid. Reach out. Learn. Librarians are amazing resources. They're the one of the most underappreciated sources of knowledge there are. They're fantastic researchers and uh, great people to learn. Make sure you know, learn your, who your teachers are for your kids and get involved. It's important. Well, David, thanks again. And uh, I look forward to uh, maybe our, our next conversation, but uh, um, I'd, I'd love to have you back. Well, your parents should be very proud of you. You ask great questions, Tom. So <laughs> you obviously had a, a great education. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Really appreciated your very good questions. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. That was uh, Professor David Florence. He is the uh, founder of uh, the Oxford Method. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dance, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner.
This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I know a man named Otis who invented a room, and his heart was filled with pride. I said to Mr. Otis, what does your room do? He said it goes from side to side. So I said, Mr. Otis, if you take my advice, you'll be the richest man in town. You gotta take that room that goes from side to side and make it go up and down. And that was good advice, good advice. Good advice costs nothing and it's worth the price. I sincerely doubt that the world could do without my good advice. Sir Isaac Newton came around to my house one day. His face was all sunburned and red. He said he didn't want to sleep in the shade of a tree because an apple might fall on his head. I said, Sir Isaac, you dumbbell, take my advice. Go right back there and sleep beneath that tree. And if you let that rotten apple fall down on your head, why, you'll discover gravity. And that was good advice, good advice. Good advice costs nothing and it's worth the price. The world's a better place since I gave the human race my good advice. A man named Mr. Waterman invented a tube. He was sad because it sprung a little leak. He said, darn it, when I hold my tube on a piece of paper, the ink leaks out and makes a little streak. He said, I've got to find a way to stop that leak. I'll start working on my leak-proof tube again. I said, Waterman, you idiot, don't stop that leak. You just invented a fountain pen. Good advice, good advice, good advice costs nothing and it's worth the price. I'm so worldly wise, I should get the Nobel Prize for good advice. Good old Henry Ford, he was a hardworking man. He worked all night and all day. I said, Henry, what you doing? And Henry, he said, I'm inventing the Chevrolet. He said, I've already built 25 models, one for each letter from A to Z. I said, Henry, you fool, there are 26 letters in the alphabet. He said, good heavens, I forgot the Model T. And that was good advice, good advice. Good advice was nothing and it's worth the price. It's little as can be and it's absolutely free. My good Wilbur and Orville were two brothers named Wright, the nicest pair of kids you've ever seen. They worked 12 years on a secret project. They thought it was a washing machine. I said, fellas, what are all those wings for? They said, for hanging clothes out to dry. I said, you fools, take that washing machine out to Kitty Hawk. 
and see if the darn thing will fly. Good advice, good advice, good advice costs nothing and it's worth the price. I'm so smart that I'm gonna win a Guggenheim for good. Benjamin Franklin was a charming old man. He was always flying his kite. One night I said, Benji, why ain't you out with your kite? He said, because it's raining tonight. I said, Benji, sweetie, you go right back out there and to your kite string, tie a key. This may shock you, Benji, my boy, but that's electricity. Ookamagook was a Neanderthal man, a very poorly educated soul. He had a great big square thing made of solid stone, and in the middle of it was a hole. One day he had to go from his cave in Natchez to his uncle's cave in Mobile. I said, round off those corners and buy a set of tires. And ookie, baby, that's a wheel. Good advice costs nothing and it's worth the price. Harvard offered me a Phi Beta Kappa key for good advice. Sigmund Freud, he had an unfurnished house. He was a very nosy fellow, so it seems. He had no chairs, so he made all his friends stand around all day and tell him all their secrets and their dreams. Well, well, they stood there talking till they got fallen arches. They yelled, my feet are killing me. Ouch! I said, Sigmund, don't you realize you've got a gold mine here? Go out and buy yourself a leather couch. And that was good advice. Good advice. Good advice was nothing and it's worth the price. Every word you're told will be 18 karat gold. That's good advice. Alexander Graham Bell was building a fence with some wood and a long piece of wire. He said, there's something strange going on around here. I keep hearing the voice of Uncle Meyer. I said, Mr. Graham Cracker, that was my little joke. With that wire, you got the world in your power. Just get a mouthpiece and an earpiece and a piece in between, and you'll sponsor the telephone hour. Cause nothing and it's worth the price. Every word you hear is the message of the year. It's good advice. Christopher Columbus was a seaman second class when I told him that the Indies could be found by sailing to the west instead of sailing to the east. 
I advised him that I thought the world was round. I really thought so. And then I sent him down to ask good Queen Isabel to pawn her jewels for all their worth. Next day he set sail, and as everyone knows, he fell off the edge of the earth. Well, that was bad, bad advice. advice. Bad, bad advice. advice. Bad advice is just the same as good advice. Everybody makes occasional mistakes, and that was bad. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 